Hey y'all, welcome to Wild Confidence. I'm your host, Ainsley B, and I can't wait to share with you some amazing guests on this season of the podcast. Our goal here is to help one another find, keep, and share our wild confidence in Christ. I'm so thankful you're joining us, and if you love the episode today, I'd be so grateful if you left a review or shared it with a friend. All right, all right, let's hop in. I can't wait to meet our guest today. Stephanie Roussel is the founder of Gospel Spice Ministries and the host of the Gospel Spice podcast. Her personal motto is God's glory, our delight. This 100% French native is a wife, mom, podcaster, public speaker, Bible teacher, former women's ministry director, and strategy consultant. She is so much fun. She is amazing. Let's learn about the spice of life from Stephanie. My friend, Stephanie is with us today. Welcome to Wild Confidence. How are you? Good. How are you, sweetheart? It's so good to see you. I love you. I haven't seen you in so long. I'm just so happy to be with you today. Too long. It has been way too long, for sure. And I'm so excited to get to share with everybody on my end, your message and all about Gospel Spice and all about you, because you're one of those people that you meet like someone will meet you. I just know this to be true because this happened to me too. I was like, okay, you're definitely one of the most interesting people have one of the most interesting stories. And I just love following everything you do and cheering you on. So tell us a little bit about Gospel Spice Ministries and how you started this. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. It's, um, the short version is, well, God kind of made me, right? And so uh, this isn't something, you don't start a ministry out of your own uh, will or desire. It has to be something that God places on your heart uh, and sometimes reluctantly. So the story with me is rather, you know, to summarize that is I grew up atheist and I really had no notion of God. God was this invented concept for people who were too weak to take care of themselves. And mm. I grew up in France, I'm French. And so very intellectual, postmodern, atheist worldview where the world is a dangerous place. It's a dog eat dog world out there. And you got to be self-sufficient and on top in order to make it. So I grew up like that, came to the U.S. as a foreign exchange student to learn English when I was 17 years old. And this is all pre-internet, pre-email, basically. And so literally just left my, uh, my home for a year, ended up living with an American family for a year, my senior year of high school. And lo and behold, my American mom and dad, as I now call them, were very strong followers of Jesus. And so... Long story short, through them, I came to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And as C.S. Lewis would put it, I was at that time the most reluctant convert in all of, he says England, I would say France for me, obviously. So it really was reluctantly that I came to faith. And I think <laughs> I think God has a thing with me. Like he's not afraid of asking me to do things reluctantly. And I've learned to do things even reluctantly because of his his guiding. And I think I'd rather follow him reluctantly into a space I don't want to go than go out of my own will somewhere I really feel like going if he's not leading there, you know? Mm -hmm. I've learned that the hard way over the last 30 years. And so anyway, I left the US shortly after I came to faith. And because I had been that year in the States 30 years ago, really in this absolutely delightful 
a little bit of a Christian bubble where most of the people I met were Christians, where there was so much love and, and it truly was Narnia-ish to the point that actually my husband and I, in the two decades that followed, we lived in several continents and countries. We moved around a lot. We lived in North Africa. I mean, we've, we've done quite a bit. And so when we would come back stateside, we literally would call it Narnia and that our plane was like the wardrobe. And it would take us to this perfect, it felt like a perfect little Christian bubble of everyone loved the Lord and everything was just perfect. So when we moved back to the States uh, eight or nine years ago, I kind of thought that this was what the U.S. were like. I mean, I knew better, but I didn't really know better. And so it was a little bit of a wake up call when we uh, moved here. And it wasn't exactly the little Christian bubble I thought that it was going to be. And, you know, I laugh about it now, but there was just a lot of innocence in me at that point, as far as that came. And so what I discovered was that Christians in America are, for many, absolutely on fire for the Lord. But for maybe many more, they've lost a little bit of that fire. And Mm. it grieves me because God, I've seen God literally use dreams and visions to lead people to him. But for Mm -hmm. me, he just used plain, regular American Christians who love him dearly. And so for me, I have this debt of gratitude because through me, my husband came to faith and now our kids are walking with the Lord. And so God used that American family and that American church to lead us to him and change our destinies forever. And now I'm back in the States and I want to give that fire back to the people who gave it to me in the first place. And so Gospel Spice was born out of that desire because I'm French and I love food and I always talk about food all the time. My desire to bring the spice of the gospel back to the people who gave it to me in the first place, well, not the exact same people, you know what I mean, like just American Christians in general who Mm -hmm. in the last 20, 25 years, for many have allowed maybe the, the their faith to become a little more stale and boring and tasteless than it used to be. And so for me, my passion is scripture. And so when I open scripture, I, I want to experience that as a feast uh, for my spirit. And it's spicy and it's full of flavor. And if we only rely on what we've already learned, uh, take any story in scripture that you're super familiar with, whether it be the Sermon on the Mount, or just this morning, I was writing a devotional on Joseph, like such a common story. Mm. We feel we know the story so well, especially if we've been raised in the church, which wasn't my case, that sometimes all we do is that we come to those stories with our, what I call our all-purpose garlic salt, like, and we sprinkle all-purpose garlic salt on everything. And then we wonder why everything tastes the same. And it's because we reach by default in our spiritual spice rack, if you will, for what we're familiar with, all-purpose garlic salt, which tastes wonderful, but there's more. And because we reach for that by default, when we study scripture, when we read the stories we're familiar with, it's all going to taste the same and therefore a little bland and boring and tasteless after a while. But what if we reached back for the other spices we've forgotten? I don't know, the cumin, the cilantro of scripture. And that's, to me, how we can approach scripture a little differently so that those stories that feel so known and so unexciting, we know better. We know they should be exciting, but they've stopped being exciting to our spiritual palate because we're only tasting the same spices all over again. And so what if we brought different spices? And now that story of Joseph, of the Sermon on the Mount, whatever, it does suddenly it just has those new flavors they've always been there but we develop spiritual taste buds so that we can experience them and so that's what gospel spice is all about is that 
if your faith has ever felt boring to you, if you've ever read a story in scripture and you're like, oh my goodness, what can I possibly learn from this? Or it feels dry in your mouth. Well, that's why I'm, I'm just so excited to help with that. So that was a long answer to your question, girl. No, I love it. I love it. And I'm thinking like those spices when it comes to reading these stories and the word, like context, historical, you know, information, um, the who these writers are writing to, why they're writing, what are their life circumstances? Like all of those things remind me of the spices. That's what makes those stories so interesting and they make them come alive. And two questions kind of popped in my head whenever you were talking. And one of those being something that I we were talking about before we started recording. And it's, do you think that entitlement could be something that American Christians have that have removed their fire from their faith? Oh man, that's a loaded question. Uh, the answer is yes, but not just American Christians. I think any Christian mm. could be guilty of that. So I don't think it's specific to a particular country or culture. I think it's it's a natural bent of the heart. And so mm. we naturally do become entitled. And I think you're so right. I hadn't thought of it that way, but if we approach scripture with the sense of entitlement, then we're going to lose out on the wonder of it. Yeah. Um, and so how do we rekindle that wonder? How do we lose that sense of entitlement? And if you're anything like me, my sense of entitlement will get jostled or moved if I get a little shaken. I, I wish yeah. I could gently be moved out of entitlement, but how? It's not my experience. It usually takes a little bit of a, a shock or a little prodding. And, and spiritually speaking, that's kind of like if you get a, a you know, some heat from spices, it's going to wake up your taste buds. Like you can't, yeah. you know, I mean, the pepper might even make you sneeze, but boy, all of a sudden you're alive. You can't be bored if you just inhale some pepper, right? You're going to yeah. have all sorts of reactions, but bored is not one of them. Okay, well, let's make scripture spicy and exciting again. And let's just discover those flavors that are going to shake us out of a sense of entitlement, which um, our culture really cultivates entitlement so much. And so yeah. what you were saying was absolutely right. Like how we move out of uh, the boredom we can experience in scripture is by discovering the context. So one of the things I love to do is to dive deep into the first century Jewish culture, for example, but in a way that isn't kind of your mainstream. I've lived in the in a, in a Middle Eastern culture for almost a decade in North Africa. And oh, so wow. I've experienced a lot of really like the culture that was already in Jesus's day. And so yeah. when I, it's, it's one thing to read about it, it's another to actually experience it, to be invited in people's homes whose food and whose hospitality literally seems ripped out of the pages of scripture. And so when you really experience that, you're able to share that in a different way. And scripture has become so alive to me by literally sitting down with people who lived almost the way Jesus and his followers lived. And then another spice I like to bring is uh, my French culture. And so I like to look at French words and like I'm inviting you sometimes to read scripture in French without learning French, but by looking at how we experience meaning maybe a little differently and like the nuances of the mm. words, the fact that, you know, being bilingual, trilingual can really help you experience your Bible in different ways. And so uh, I think all of that shakes us out of our sense of entitlement. But again, I think it requires, as you were saying, a willingness to uh, to be shaken and prodded a little bit. It's not necessarily uh, comfortable to be shaken out of entitlement. Yes. 
Yes. But Jesus never really promised comfort, which is one of the things this world would have us believe is that comfort is something we're entitled to. Yep. Um, as you and I were saying before we started, motherhood somehow shakes us out of that idea, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was just telling you, like, I I feel entitled to a healthy child or a happy marriage or financial stability. And none of those things are something that I'm entitled to, they are straight grace-filled blessings that even some people in my inner circle don't have. And my lens has gotten so out of focus that I think that the Lord is really working on me in thanksgiving and gratitude in in such a deeper level. That's not just like, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the roof over my head. It's like, one of those soul shaking, spicy gratitudes that's like, no, I want to truly, truly live in gratitude because I really, really think that that will change everything uh, on how I see the world, on how I see marriage, on how I see um, motherhood and parenting, just every, literally everything, literally everything. Yeah, what you're saying is that gratitude is is a spice that's going to flavor everything. Yeah, like you're adding it, it's like honey. It's sweet. It's yes. the opposite of pepper, if you will. You know, we're yeah. talking about that. Like it's just gratitude is going to sweet, make everything sweeter, kinder, softer, better. Um, or maybe gratitude is like butter. I'm French. I love butter, right? So <laughs> it's just going to make everything taste so much better. And uh, Anthony, it's so beautiful to hear you say that you're you're basically asking the Lord to shake you out of your sense of entitlement. Most people are not brave gently. enough to even ask <laughs> gently. Oh, amen, sister. You and me both as gently as we possibly can. But, yeah. but you're asking for it. You're being super brave and saying, I've identified this in me and I'm not mm -hmm. content with that. I don't want to be content with shallow contentment of entitlement. I want the yeah. deeper things. And, and obviously God is answering your prayer. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the shaking is a little painful at times, but, oh, yeah. but there's no greater thing. It's the, the pain that's going to give you this invitation into the deeper things of God. And so for anyone listening or watching, like if you sense that little nudge from the Lord, that yes, maybe entitlement is a bit too present, or maybe a sense of discontent or complaining or looking at you know, the problems in my own life a little too much. Well, if you're sensing that, could the Lord be inviting you into a deeper sense of intimacy with him? And if that's the yeah. case, what are you going to choose? That's right. so exciting. I'm, I'm on the sidelines cheering you on because it's <laughs> so exciting. And even if you do it reluctantly, I was sharing earlier how, you know, God has invited me into a lot of things and I've done it reluctantly, but I've done it, you know, yeah. by his grace, I, I take no credit for it. Again, like <laughs> against my better judgment, I would do it because I, I've learned to trust him. And that's what you're doing too. Maybe it's painful. Maybe it's a little re even reluctant, but you're doing it because mm -hmm. you've learned that he knows better than you do. And yeah. you've learned to take his hand even into uncomfortable places, like learning to not have this sense of entitlement because you trust him. And so he's rewarding you with the deeper things of him. That is so exciting. <laughs> it is. And I'm, I'm so excited to get to the other side of it. And <laughs> And not I, in my experience, you know, it might be a while. It's a, I, don't, I know I'm not on the other side of it. It takes a lifetime, but again, that's the beauty of it. It's it goes ever deeper because God is infinite, 
Therefore, the work he does in us is infinite too, which yeah. means it's bottomless. And, and you know, like, I'm, I could be your mom, you know, I'm, I'm much older than you. And I'm, I'm still fighting a sense of entitlement at times right. or a desire to choose comfort over uh, the better things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Absolutely. So faithful that it still is worth it. But it, I, I don't know that it gets easier. I think it tastes sweeter, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. It really does make sense because I've seen it in the past. I've seen, you know, other things that I've asked the Lord to purify my heart. Like I'm can't even, I can't think of something right now because I'm so engulfed in the entitlement thing. But, um, and now looking back, I'm like, I'm so thankful that I wasn't where I was or, you know, I have a different mindset about this. I have a different perspective about this all just because I asked the Lord to show me um, and, and kept an open mind and an open heart about it and stayed soft. And that is what I think a lot of times we can get, we can get hardened by the world. And the Lord is always reminding us to stay soft and especially toward the world, especially to the world that we're living in. I think it's very easy right now in culture to be, to just write off people or, um, assume the worst. And that's not what the Lord calls us to do. So I, I'm just continuing always to, to learn that. And I'm wondering from your perspective, how did, or did faith, well, I actually, I feel like I know that faith softened you because you had that worldview of like dog eat dog world previously in, in the atheistic kind of point of view. So how did faith soften you in this process of getting to know the Lord and experiencing this Narnia that, that you were talking about? Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Um, I think you kind of answered the question uh, in your own words. Um, I think it's just the more you walk with him, the more you want to walk with him. You know, he, he doesn't invite you Mm. into the deeper things until you're ready for them. And he's still inviting me into deeper things. It's just the definition of deeper maybe changes over time. But um, I I think, I mean, I couldn't say it any better than you have when you were basically describing your own soft, teachable heart. I think teachability is key of, of not hardening, but of cultivating the soft heart, or in my case, like literally asking the Lord to grow it from scratch. One one way I like to think of it is if you think of insects, insects have um, what is called an exoskeleton. It means their, their skeleton, their bones are on the outside. If you think of, I don't know, a stink bug or a cockroach or whatever, I don't know, uh, like their bones are actually on the outside, right? And on the inside is all the squishy, mushy parts humans were the other way around the squishy mushy is on the outside and our bones are actually on the inside yeah so i think god has turned me from a bug to a human (laughs) (laughs) where like the hard stuff is on the outside and like all the mushy stuff that you have to deal with like the world tells you to just shove it in don't deal with it like show a hard shiny exterior like a very pretty beetle maybe like that just has all these pretty colors whereas in christ i think There's something about being teachable and not being afraid to be who you really are. And like, it doesn't mean you want to wear your emotions on your sleeve necessarily, but it means you're honest, you're transparent about who Mm -hmm. you are. And and God, when we find the strength of Christ, we are not so afraid to be who we really are, which means even exposing some of the the mushy stuff. And so, and, and we start having the structure 
is our bones is like inside of us. And it's not so much my own strength, but it's Christ in me. So it's like, in some ways you could picture that Christ is our skeleton. He's holding us together. And then on the outside, what we see is Ainsley, Stephanie, but actually on the inside, it's Christ. Whereas yeah. the world, like we just have you see this, this shell of being strong and perfect, but it's actually not true because on the inside, you're all mushy. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. It definitely does. I think, uh, yes, it really does. And it gives us such a good picture of it. So I'm all about it. I'm like, that is, it's so funny because it is true that the world does kind of tell us to be hard. And even, I mean, I've, I've, I've never lived anywhere outside of the U.S., outside of my one little six week study abroad in London and even London. We used to live in London. I love London. Me too. But it reminds me just of New York city with really cute accents, you know, like as far as um, I wasn't challenged by having to learn a different language or anything. Um, But anyway, all of that to say, I think the world does and it does make us hard and does make it tell us to hide imperfections, hide all of these things. And the Lord says, you're made perfect with your imperfections. Like the more you bring those to me, the more I will uh, purify or um, sanctify. And so anytime anybody's like, oh, you're a Christian, you are this and that. I'm like, no, whatever you think, just put it in reverse. Like I am so imperfect. I am so flawed the only thing that I can tell you is the one thing that holds me together and is my you know bones or skeleton and that's the Lord because I'm nothing nobody nowhere nope (laughs) do not and I told the speaking engagement I had I was like do not look at the person on this stage and think that they have any more access to the Lord than you do like you have just as much this is nothing this is absolutely nothing. Um, yeah. But anyway, all of that. No, no, I I'm totally hear you. And actually, um, probably the greatest compliment I've ever been paid uh, when I was on stage one day is someone came up and she said, um, when you start speaking, I see you, but then I don't. Wow. And and that's, isn't that what we want? You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a prayer like, is always whatever the, whether it's a one-on-one conversation, whatever the context is like, Lord, would you allow me to completely disappear so that you would appear? Absolutely. At the end of the day, people remember me. Well, I guess that's nice and fine, but it's just me. I mean, that's kind of boring and finite and limited, but if they remember you, oh, whoa, now now we're talking. So may I completely disappear so that you would appear? And that's, that's exactly what I'm hearing you say too. So Yay, yes. Oh, I yeah. The more so they get to know me, the more disappointed they're going to be, you know, any time. Truly, that's just true. Like anytime. They, that's why they say never meet your heroes, because they'll disappoint you because humans are disappointing. But the Lord, yeah. whenever we set aside our entitlement or our just preconceived notions and stuff and just experience him for who he is, then there's no disappointment. It's all yeah revelation and intimacy and amazing, amazing things. Yeah. So, and yet at the same time, uh, I would cannot counter what you're saying because, um, you're not disappointing and boring. (laughs) You're not. And, and no one in Christ is because 
we are truly his masterpiece. And I know it sounds cliche. That's true. It's yeah, you're right. True because God created us so that we could grow in what? In Christ likeness, which means in yeah. every perfection. And so I, I hear, I absolutely agree with what you're saying in terms of like, if you have to, you know, humans are always going to be disappointing compared to God. And in that sense, yes. you absolutely want to focus on the Lord. However, I have found, and I know you have found too, that other humans are the ones who point me to him. Mm-hmm. You know, even scripture, I mean, come on, scripture was written by people, you know, it's right. yeah. and Peter and John and all those guys to write scripture. And so they're people too. And so, you know, they're not any more perfect than anyone. They're not. And yet they're, God used their words and, you know, all those centuries later to, to edify us. And so in the same way, I think we need to, to hold that balance that God thinks you're, you're something. God thinks you're pretty special and he's investing in you. And so that's even one more reason why when things are hard and he's shaking us out of entitlement or contentment or whatever mm-hmm. we may be fighting, it's actually his invitation so that we're actually going to become more beautiful, not in his sight, but to his glory, you know? Yeah. And, and it, I think it just goes back to how much do we actually trust him to want what's best for us? as opposed to what I think is best for me, that's a sense of entitlement. Like you said, yep. healthy kids and, you know, healthy marriage, all those things. And these are good things, by the way, like these are things Absolutely. worth praying for and asking him for and, and yes. having gratitude when he's given them to you. And mm-hmm. that flavor of gratitude changes everything. But to have that sense of like, I will go wherever you take me, Lord, because you're making me into the person you've created me to be. And I've raised my kids kind of on that idea that, as long as you follow the Lord, you can't really go wrong at all. Um, there's a sentence I've used so much for my kids. And I think it just kind of sums up, at, at least for me, it sums up my ambition is that there's nothing you can do for God to love you more. He already loves you to the moon and back. There, you can't earn his love. Even if you mm-hmm. have the most perfect day and you do all the right things, he's literally not going to love you more for it. He already right. loves you to the max. And because his max is infinite, that's a max we can't even begin to like wrap our heads around. Yeah. And then the flip side is, sure, there's nothing you can do for him to love you more, but there's also nothing you can do for him to love you less. On your worst day, when you yeah. mess up in all the areas that matter and don't matter, he's not going to love you any less. And so when you hold those two in balance, I think it gives you a boldness to move forward and to, to say, I want to shed entitlement from my life because you've got something so much better, Lord. Sorry, you got me going. No, I love it. You're so, you're, you're just, you're so right. And it's something that I think, I think our conversation is perfect timing because it's, I'm kind of fleshing it out live and with you on this podcast. So it's a blessing for me to be able to have this conversation with you. And the one thing that I really want to ask before um, we like start the wrap up process, which I want to keep talking forever, but I want to just hear from your perspective. I mean, you have been, how many countries and continents have you lived on Refreshment. Yeah, we joke with. that we have lived for the past two decades on three continents, four countries, and five cities through six professional roles. So that is moved insane. A bit. I mean, I've moved around in the US a lot, but that is nothing. Like that is oh, absolutely oh, no, no, nothing. No, it's not, no, no. Well, no, compared to nothing. your to the different on, cultures the US and the US is so big and there's so many different cultures. No, no, no. It's and and moving is a big deal, whether it's a, across 
you know, county lines or state lines or across oceans. Moving is a big deal. Don't minimize that. It, it, it sure yeah. is. It is a uh, lot. Yeah. And one of the things I think that I loved the most about these places we've lived in, I'm just thinking of the of two of them being New York City and Houston, where you have two of the most concentrated uh, areas of multicultural cities. And, you know, it's very much like a gumbo of people, which is my Cajun uh, talking. But I loved it because I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so neat to see how these different cultures just live their daily lives, celebrate different things, believe in X, Y, Z, like however they um, execute their their belief systems and all of that. So I'm just curious from your perspective with even more uh, of a saturation, you know, in these different cultures, how has that impacted your faith and what has that taught you? Mm, that's so good. Well, I think it has taught me that fish doesn't know what water is. What I mean by that is that you never know what your culture is until you're taken out of it. Ooh. Right? Fish yeah. doesn't know what water is. Don't ask a fish what water is. They don't know. They just swim in it. Uh, and so what culture are we swimming in that we're not aware of, but it's affecting us? Mm. And so, you know, and, and for me to be taken out of my French culture and into an American culture, you know, British culture, a North African, Middle Eastern culture, like it's taught me a lot about my own culture, both as a as a kind of a nation, like as a French culture, but also as a person, my personal yeah. culture based on my personality and maybe my family culture, all those things. And then determine what I want to keep, basically what is from the gospel and what I don't really want to keep. And so I, I think we're challenged, all of us as, as believers, swimming in the culture we're in, in, in the West or wherever we are, how, how, what part of our culture do we absorb and what part of our culture do we decide to maybe um, not embrace and maybe even uh, speak up against, you mm, know, depending yeah. how the Lord leads us. Um, in other words, some waters we're swimming in are good for us and others are toxic. And we need to learn to make the difference. And I think scripture is the standard for that. For me, learning to determine what is healthy water and what is toxic water as a fish, mm. um, it, it's it's the Lord who's going to show me. I really don't know. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough to know. But he helps me. And again, he brings people alongside me who have accumulated wisdom and who help me discern that as well. So his word and his people is how I learn to determine the eyes of my faith when it comes to what of culture will I ingest and what of culture I will reject. Yes, I love that so much. I think that is so good. And I'm also thinking in America, that filter has to be like extra, extra filtered because of how Amen, sister. I don't know. I don't even know how to keep it. Just it, I just feel like America has to be extra, extra filtered. I, I agree. <laughs> um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, like you've mentioned big cities in the States. And I find it interesting being from Europe that a lot of Americans, especially in the big cities, think that Europe has it figured out. And there's this idea oh, yeah. that we want to follow the European model and that Europe has it made and all those things. And I'm like... Uh, can I tell you, like, no, 
<laughs> not true. We, I mean, Europe and, and France, obviously, you know, I'm, I mean, I know European cultures decently well, but the French culture, obviously better. And, and I'm telling you, we are a post-God culture. Is that really what you want? Like, right. do you really want a system where God is completely out of the equation? Because if that's what you want, honestly, you're doing a good job getting there. Yeah, But that is not, that saddens me. And, and that's back to what I was saying, how like 30 years later, I'm back in the States and I'm finding this country to be very different from what it was. Well, it is. And I think a lot of it is this desire to be um, maybe like Europe, quote unquote. And I get mm -hmm. that a lot. Again, being French, people tend to talk to me about European things, maybe than they would, maybe more than they would on average. But like, do you sure. really want that? And, and that's what you're doing. That's what the American culture right now is doing, move, moving towards this post-truth, post-modern European mindset. The difference is um, it took Europe about 200 years to get here. It's taking you one generation. That Ooh. is very scary. You yeah. can, and Americans, okay, my husband and I, my husband's not American either. So both of us live as, as foreigners and guests here in this country, which we love dearly. What we're seeing is that whenever Americans want to do something, they become really good at it really fast. Yeah. Like you guys throw so much talent and power and money and resources that you get good at whatever you want to get good at really fast. The best example I have of that is soccer. A generation ago, no one knew what soccer was in the States, or maybe a few people did, but it really wasn't a thing. And like now it's a big thing. And mm -hmm. within like, mark my words, very quickly, you guys are going to be the best soccer players on the planet because right now your country is throwing so much energy and resource and talent and money at the game of soccer. And I love soccer. Okay. Like I'm not a big American football fan, but soccer is my thing because I'm European. Okay. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love that. Right. So 20, 30 years ago, you guys didn't really know too much about soccer and now you're really good at it. Well, yep. I think you're doing that with post-truth, post-modernism too, and that's not so good. I'll cheer you on with soccer all day long, not so much with that because I don't think that's something you want to get out of Europe. Get soccer, please, by all means. Just don't get <laughs> you know, the post-truth stuff that is so prevalent. And because, again, Americans, you guys are so gifted and so talented and so driven, and I admire that so much. But the problem is when you're driving yourself really fast in the wrong direction, you're going to go there really quickly. And again, it took Europe 200, 300 years of post, you know, French revolution to, to get to where we are today. And in 20 or 30 years, in the last 20 or 30 years, I've seen America as, a, as an entity, not only catch up to Europe in terms of philosophical post-truth beliefs, but maybe even exceed Europe. When I go to wow. Europe now and I explain uh, some of the things that I see going on in the States, I'm thinking, you know, all the gender stuff. I'm thinking like Europeans look at me and they're like, Americans have gone crazy. <laughs> like, it's not that you are trying to become like Europe. It's that you've gone beyond in some yeah. respects and, and not in the best ways. And so it saddens me because I really believe that the Christians are the the spice, they're the remnant, they're the ones that can fight this. And, and I think mm -hmm. we have a responsibility in this generation, probably more than ever before, at least as much as other crucial generations to fight against the prevalent narrative that post-truth is better. So I don't know, that's a soapbox for me, but it just saddens me to see this beautiful country heading pretty quickly in a direction that um, grieves me because it's the direction my country took and I don't think it's for the better, so. And it's empty. It's, you know, towards this place of emptiness. And that's... Well, there's no God. So, of course, it's empty. God right. is yeah. there. Why would you want to go to a place where God is not? Yeah, absolutely. 
You are so right. I, I mean, I'm just kind of ruminating on everything we just talked about because I think I'm just going to be thinking about it all for the rest of the day. And I want to know, you know, where we can all keep up with you online. Where can we follow everything that you're doing and get more spice out of life? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Well, the podcast, Gospel Spice, that you can find right next to your beautiful podcast. It's on the same (laughs) listening apps and it's there. We're on YouTube, Gospel Spice. Uh, On our website, obviously, Gospel Spice, social media, you can find me, same thing, Gospel Spice. We do a lot of online Bible studies. Uh, We do a lot of teachings on the podcast. We do courses we recently launched a course. I was in Israel last summer, a course um, to take you for seven weeks on a virtual tour to Israel. And I do a lot of Bible teachings and it just makes um, Jesus come alive in fresh ways. And the people who've taken the course uh, just say that it feels like they've taken a trip to Israel. So that's not really an option right now in our current political situation. So that's the next best thing. And so we take you deep into scripture through various mediums, a trip to Israel virtually being one of the ones we've done recently. So, so cool. That is so cool. I love that. I want to take that course because that's just so neat. Um, there's something else I was going to either ask you or tell you. And now I can't remember what it was because I was so focused on, oh, I, that's what I was going to say on, I was so focused on making sure I was following gospel spice, but um, I think one of your, the podcast that I did on gospel spice with you, I think is on my website too. So if anybody wants to just quickly, Oh, um, I, that's how you and I initially met. And I, yeah. I mean, I had read your book and I absolutely loved it. I have a daughter who, uh, needed to read your book. So that was really cool. And, uh, that's one thing we do too, is that we alternate, uh, in-depth Bible teachings with pretty amazing guests like you and others who just have some really cool stories of faith. So it's, it's a way um, just like you're doing and, you know, interviewing people and, and bringing to your audience's awareness, some of the amazing ways that God is working throughout the world. We, we do the same thing. So in that sense, you and I have the same vision for our audience to just be edified and to grow and to want to know God more. Right. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I think you and I definitely have a similar heartbeat and I am so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful that we met and I'm so thankful that you took some time to come and hang out with us today. Thank you. Truly my, my delight, my delight. Thank you so, so much for spending time with us today and hanging out here on wild confidence. I hope that you feel encouraged and ready to tackle the day, feeling even more confident than you did before you started listening. I'd be so thankful if you left a review or shared this episode with a friend and I'll see you soon. Oh, don't forget. Let's connect on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Ainsley B and I hope to meet you there.